All right, everybody, welcome back to Nerding Casually, the show where Dan and I talk about stuff, including today, Suicide Squad, Batman vs. Superman, the extended cut, and Ghostbusters, again. And some other things, too. So, uh, yeah. Dan, how are you doing, man? I'm pretty good. How about yourself, man? Doing well. It's It was a, it was a great weekend. I really enjoyed it. We're actually recording on a Monday, which I think is a first for us, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Monday morning. It's a great, good day. Uh, both of us have work off, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. Um, so I guess just to jump into it, uh, you, both you and I had talked about, uh, watching Batman vs Superman, the extended edition. Yes. Um, I think they have a different title than that, but, uh, I'm going to say the extended edition cause that's what it kind of felt like to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I know you had some thoughts on it, so I'm going to let you go first on just how you felt about it and what you thought about the, the movie as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I guess, how did you feel differently about Batman vs Superman, the theatrical cut and the director slash extended edition cut? You know, I gotta say it was definitely head and shoulders a big improvement over the theatrical theatrical cut of Batman vs Superman, because uh, when we first talked about Batman vs Superman a few months ago, my biggest complaint was what the hell was going on the entire movie? Like the first half of the movie, you're just like chasing all these plot points. And for me, like, um, you know, some, I I understand that I I have a very analytical mind and I really tend to overthink things. But when I see a movie, I really, really try hard to understand everything going on. Um, And for, for me, the first hour and a half of the movie is just what the heck is going on? You know, you start out in Metropolis, then you're going to, Nairobi, which isn't even a real place in Africa. Then you're going to the Indian Ocean. Then you're going to Gotham. Then you're going here, there, everywhere, and all these things just like they don't they don't tie into each other. You know, you have the Nairobi conflict. Then you jump to Bruce Wayne and him branding people the his Bat Vengeance, Bat Brand of Justice. Then you cut to Lex Luthor pushing Jolly Ranchers down congressmen's faces. Then you cut to the the gala then you cut i mean you just cut through all this stuff and you're like what what is going on like can you can someone just like tie because nothing has anything to do with each other and the motivations are just there there are no motivations in the theatrical cut for people to do what they're doing there's i don't understand why the senator shows up at lex luther's place i don't understand why uh lex luther even wants to have access to zod's body or even that, that I, I, I just don't understand what's going on. I, I don't understand why Clark Kent is so mad at Bruce Wayne. I don't understand why Bruce Wayne's so mad at Clark Kent. But the Ultimate Edition really does <clears throat> shed some light and, and, and actually extend the plot and explain a lot of the things that just left me scratching my head the entire time through. Like in the, in the Ultimate Edition, Clark Kent literally spends the first part of the movie investigating all these things about Batman and Bruce Wayne. And really trying to figure out, like, you really understand, okay, this is why Clark Kent doesn't like Bruce Wayne. This is why he doesn't like Batman. And, again, it's not explained if they how they found out each other's identities or this or that. But, uh, there, so there's that entire plot thread of Clark Kent investigating Bruce Wayne that really makes him say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and, um, and including the Nairobi conflicts, um, the reason why there was so much with Jimmy Olsen, I'm still pissed that they killed Jimmy Olsen. Spoiler alert! But if you haven't seen Batman vs Superman by now, that's your fault. Um, but yeah, and I and I just think that 
with these explanations, I mean, the movie was a whole half an hour, half an hour longer, but it just made things, it, it, it explained things, it made things so much more easier to understand and to follow. It wasn't like I was chasing all these different leads. It was actually the plots were being tied together before we got to the main showdown and the final conflict. So I guess that's kind of um, my feelings on it, uh, on the Ultimate Edition in a nutshell. Nice. Um, I have to just... I. <laughs> I held myself from laughing on what one thing you said, yeah. and that was the bat brand of justice. Yes. It never dawned on me that that was it. Like that was the joke until right now hearing you say bat brand of justice. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate that. So you get like 0.5 points BVS just, just for that right there. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I watched it as well. Uh, I watched, it, I think a week after you did when you were like, you, you need to watch it. Just, just trust me on this. And I did. And I, I agree with you that I, I liked having the extra backstory. It made more sense understanding why the U S government was after Superman. Because when I watched the movie originally, I thought he was working with the U S government with the Lois Lane operation mm-hmm. and he was there just to save her. Uh, the extended ultimate edition shows that it, it's not the case that in fact he's actually working he's there without any like oversight at all and he is just protecting lois mm-hmm. um and i liked having that backstory i still have the issue with jimmy olsen but uh you know i think we all do at this point um yes i i i think other than that like it, it gave some good explanations i i liked a little bit like i like that they expanded into the the reporting to, to the senate the uh the woman who was like a survivor of the place like reported to the Senate and brought on this catalyst uh, of like essentially trying to bring down Superman. But I honestly like, I felt like some of it was not needed. Like I still feel like the bits where they were assassinating off the witnesses was not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess maybe that's just me. It was like, okay, you gave me that as in the extended cut you didn't need to do that. Like, I, I didn't need to see them killing off that woman, at least for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, wh- why? Like, what was the point for that? Um, I guess, like, it's... For me, it was still the same underlying movie, and I think the movie had problems in that in that uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we were talking about before the show, like, the honest trailers for the movie, like, had the 19 reasons why like Lex or 19 ways like Lex Luthor could have convinced like Superman or he, what he did to, to convince Superman to go after Batman mm-hmm. and I think one of the biggest problems I, I have with like superhero movies right now in general and this includes Suicide Squad which I'll talk about and riff on a little bit later was that sometimes we get complex plots just for the sake of complex plots mm-hmm. when like okay we get it Lex Luthor doesn't like Superman for whatever reason just just say I just come give me like a, a nice little simple MacGuffin that will take care of it. Not like overly complex reasons that are layered on later and later, like a, a 19 layer bean dip or something. Oh, I hear that. I totally hear that. Actually, it's funny that you um, bring up the complex reasons for, uh, uh, for Lex Luthor's motivations, because I just got to the screen grab on the honest nice. trailer um, that talks about Lex Luthor's motivations. So, <laughs> I can go through it really quickly. No, yeah, let's go. Let, go ahead and go, go give like the top, uh, the old David Letterman top ten list for it. <laughs> okay, let's see here. I'm going through here. So we got um, step one: find out Superman and Batman's secret identities. Um, out CIA operative Jimmy Olsen to get the general to capture Lois Lane and ensure Superman's arrival. 
murder the rebels and burn the body so Superman can be blamed. If any evidence gets left behind, I'm screwed. <laughs> um, gather information on metahumans. I love this one. Make sure to give each one a superhero name and comic booky logo design. Um, ask Congresswoman for an import license to acquire a huge kryptonite rock so I can make a weapon in exchange for access to General Zod's body. Don't forget, creepily feed a Congresswoman a Jolly Rancher. Batman will steal this kryptonite later to kill Superman. Is this part of my plan? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Um, uh, mail photos and newspaper clippings to Clark Kent with crazy writing. Intercept disability checks of former Wayne Corp employee. Invite Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent to the same charity event. Introduce them to each other. Make it as awkward as possible. <laughs> Pee in a jar. <laughs> Um, oh, here we go. Blow up the Capitol building with, with Superman present. If Superman hears the bomb or somehow stops the explosion, I'm screwed. Assume that this will push Batman over the edge. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, crap. Just lost it. Oh, that's okay. I got it. Uh, so we got use Zod stolen. Uh, st- use stolen Zod fingerprints to access crash Kryptonian spaceship. Combine DNA with Zod's dead body to create a deformity. A possible name? Doomsday? Uh, <laughs> kidnap Superman's mom. Reveal to Lois Lane that I'm an evil genius. Hopefully she dies or something. Blackmail Superman into fighting uh, Batman. This negates earlier work to uh, turn Clark Kent against Batman. (laughs) Um, Don't worry about it. Hopefully Batman kills Superman. If Batman doesn't kill Superman, hopefully Doomsday kills Superman. Sit back and run the company until Daddy comes back. If Superman survives, I'm screwed. If Lois Lane survives, I'm screwed. If Doomsday survives, I'm screwed. And so is this planet. If any one thing in this possibly impossibly intricate plan over which I have almost no control over anyone's actions goes wrong, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of that is actually, it's true. Um, I did want to go back to one, though. Like, not number one, but uh, number 11. <laughs> For some reason, this one keeps sticking out at me. Um, intercept. The disability checks a former Wayne Corp employee. Mm-hmm. I took uh, I don't know I don't know why I'm like nitpicking on this one from uh, honest trailers, but when I saw the movie both times, I took this as the bureaucracy of Wayne Corp just not getting those letters to Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. and that was the reason why he like the guy was like I don't need your money. I need you to realize that Superman is actually crazy and he's trying to kill us all. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I I just I feel like it was just an example of bureaucracy not working properly in that, in that situation. Yeah. Um, another thing that I I did have a a problem with is like, literally Lex Luthor could have said, "Hey Bruce Wayne, I I know you're Batman, but I'm not going to say you're Batman because I'm not supposed to know that. But hey Bruce Wayne, I know you're Batman. Superman killed a bunch of people that worked for you. How do you feel about that?" And just like you could have pushed on that for like the entire movie, and that would have been like a great like that would have been that would have taken care of this list of twenty six reasons or twenty six ways to uh, to get Batman to kill Superman or vice versa or you know whatever. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, and and to be honest, I mean, there there's still. I think Batman throughout the whole movie was just having a hissy fit because. You just have to realize that, yes, there was a huge body count in Man of, Man of Steel. Was it Clark Kent's fault? That's debatable. I err on the side of saying no because this was the, the actions of a crazy warlord. 
And because Clark Kent went into hiding for so long because he was ashamed of his powers, he didn't know how to harness his powers. So he was just basically a laser without a lens. Yeah. And so while, yes, you could attribute some of the death, the body count in Man of Steel to Superman, I don't think that it's directly his fault. He was just trying to do his best. Yeah, that doesn't take away from the fact that, yes, it's still tragic that so many people died. But for, for that to be Batman's primary reason to be against Superman is that I think that's just that's just weak sauce for me. Yeah, I I think we can all agree. I think everybody agrees. That, actually, no, everybody doesn't agree that this movie could have had a stronger plot, could have had stronger reasons to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think there's a majority of, of people that, that think that this movie could have been way better than it was. Yes. Um, which actually delves or is a good transition point into Suicide Squad as well, because a, a lot of a lot of critics did not like Suicide Squad. Um, I know for Thursday when I went to see it, it had like a 35% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. People actually created a petition to have Rotten Tomatoes taken down because they were so upset about it. I know, right? Um, by the way, just so everybody knows, Suicide Squad made $135 million this weekend. No big deal. It was just, you know, the record-breaking box office opening for August. Um, it has a 26% rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now. I think that's actually slightly lower than batman versus superman um and i think that just uh, it sh- goes to show that <laughs> there are two different audiences for um co- for movies there's the audience uh the the general audience you know people like you and me mm-hmm. um and maybe not like people like you and me but like you know popcorn watchers and then you have the critical audience the people who actually go to see if it's actually like film quality or if it's just another you know popcorn movie um when it comes to suicide squad like i said before it has a 26 percent uh, t- uh rotten tomato score compared to 27 percent for batman versus superman so not that much of a difference mm-hmm. and you have an audience score of 72 percent for um suicide squad uh, this is using rotten tomatoes numbers instead of uh metacritic i know some people use metacritic i just don't have that in front of me mm-hmm. um and so i i think what that goes to show one of the things I actually want to talk about was um, I think that shows a big difference between how critics view movies and how we view movie, view movies. Uh, I think most of the time that my, my lens typically lines up well with the critics. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it doesn't. I enjoyed uh, suicide squad. I thought it was a fun movie. Was it, you know, was it Oscar worthy? Hell no, but it was a good, you know, let get a bucket of popcorn, watch a movie and, uh, and and enjoy the fun times. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh go ahead. I was gonna say I think from the marketing, this was purely. I mean, they weren't trying to market this movie as, uh, you know, uh, like Twelve Years a Slave or Schindler's List or any sort of Oscar contender. I mean, this is one of those movies. It's like Transformers. You know what you're getting into. You know Transformers. You're not gonna go see a movie about some some robot that's been left behind from Cybertron earnestly try to make his way back to Cybertron and meets some friends along the way. And it's a heartwarming adventure. And there's this amazing film score composed by John Williams. No, like that's not what Transformers is about. And neither is Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad isn't the journey of some anti-hero looking for redemption. I mean, I'm sure that there is in some ways, Um, but it's, but that's not what it's built for. It's built as the worst heroes ever trying to save the world from something and so uh i think a lot of times critics forget what they're watching 
and and i don't know maybe they're paid off by disney um i i, I don't know but um but yeah i that that's just it, it, this is one of those movies if you go into this movie thinking that this is going to be some sort of uh, like sh- like movie reality shattering experience well i mean you're wrong <laughs> i got news for you you know i mean that's that's the only thing you, it, the the name itself implies that you're not going to see some kind of Oscar contender. So uh, not to justify that it should be that 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 excuses it for being badly reviewed or whatever. But it just you know you have no one to blame but yourself if you're disappointed in in uh, in, in the quality or the outcome of the movie. I'll, I acknowledge that and I completely get that. But I will counterpoint by saying that Captain America: Civil War has a ninety percent. Captain America Winter Soldier has 89%. Like there are very few Marvel movies in that franchise and the in the current Marvel franchise has Rotten Tomato scores as low as Batman versus Superman or Su- uh, Suicide Squad. That is true. And I would not contend that like Captain America Civil War, Captain America uh, Winter Soldier Winter Soldier or Captain America the First Avenger are 12 years a slave worthy like they're not in the same category they're they're superhero movies and but they at least try to have a good plot they at least try to have a good story and one that pretty much goes together well i think you there you can argue that some of the actions in civil war were maybe more of a superhero hero like crazy plot uh thing but again marvel does at least try to make a movie somewhat coherent and somewhat not necessarily. Uh, they don't. They don't make it complex for the sake of being complex. And I think even Suicide Squad goes down that path. The other thing I I want to point out um, is the rumors that, uh, and I'm going to say rumors because I, I I haven't found any sources for them. But the rumors that the film the screeners that they did for Suicide Squad in May and April are not the was not the final release and was nowhere near what was the final release that we or that I saw last week. Mm-hmm. Um, suggesting that, uh, and the suggestion is that the studio made some major, like they were like, we're going to make major changes on this. I think that's um, right. I, I read something very similar to that too, as well. Yeah, and this is after the reshoots where they added the humor in. So I'm wondering what they changed. Like, what was that change exactly? Was it to remove some uh, some characters from it? Like they kept like the character stayed in, but they removed like more time from that character or whatnot. And I, I just don't know. Yeah. Um. But I, I hope that they do like they did with Batman versus Superman and they release the the other cut of Suicide Squad because I would like to see that. Um, but I enjoyed the movie. Like, let me let me be clear. I <laughs> there is some I have some quibbles with the movie. We won't go into it now until uh, you get get a chance to see it because I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed the movie. I I laughed. I was like I, I had a range of emotions in it. So it wasn't just like I was ready to like you know cut myself at the end of batman versus superman (laughs) but uh i i did enjoy it um i will say one thing i really i really hope that wb's and 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 dc's takeaway from this is that they need to make a harley quinn movie yes and i i don't mean like make a harley quinn and joker movie that's not what i'm saying dc i'm saying make a harley quinn movie because uh margot robbie is fantastic she gets the crazy down so well yeah you know, I gotta say, and and I haven't seen this, but I I have read the the a plot review about this. No spoilers, so I don't know much mm-hmm. uh, outside just the main plot. <clears throat> I do know that 
that this movie is about the su- about the Suicide Squad fighting Enchantress's brother, um, Incubus, and that they're trying to save the world from from this supernatural threat. My thoughts were, and I don't know if they if they didn't want to do this because they it would have been the stereotypical or it would have been easily predictable that this would be the plot, but I thought it would have been wonderful if if you just if they took things down to a smaller scale where it was the Joker trying to gain access, trying to um, like gain access to a bank or to some kind of cybersecurity information with uh, with all this important data or information on it because the Joker is a megalomaniac and he wants to see the world burn, so he's going to release all uh, of the of all these dirty secrets on government officials and this and that. And so Amanda Waller's tasked with getting the Suicide Squad to take down the Joker so that this information doesn't get leaked to the public. And then I thought it just would have been awesome just to have Joker to be the main bad guy. And in the end, Harley Quinn betrays the entire Suicide Squad because she wants to go back to her pudding. And uh, it just in the end, um, either the information gets leaked or it doesn't get leaked or what have you. The Joker succeeds, but, but he gets away or he doesn't succeed, but he still gets away. But I just thought, keep it on a smaller scale because when you have when you have movies like this where after you establish the the the, the trifecta of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, you wonder where Wonder Woman and Batman are during this entire time. Like, well, if this is a world if this threat is putting the world in jeopardy, where are Batman and Wonder Woman at this time? And that's similar to, to Iron Man three when Iron Man three and, and Captain America's uh, the winter soldier, when all these movies come out post these team ups, you're like, well, where's everybody else in this? If this is such a big threat and this is such a big deal. So I, like I said, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I just want to say like, I, I'm a little disappointed. They didn't go that route just to keep it a little smaller scale and to have, have Joker be the main bad guy and Harley Quinn double cross the team. I thought it would have been more in line with the actions of those two characters. Yeah, honestly, I my only concern with that plot, and that, that was actually very similar to what I was thinking with the, how they were going to go with that plot and have Joker be the main villain. Um, my only concern with that plot thread is that DC probably would have turned it into Joker created this complex uh, plot just to get uh, Harley Quinn back. <laughs> Um, screen junkies puts <laughs> yeah suicide <laughs> pee in a jar <laughs> exactly um i i will say that i really i i angered matthew when i said this but i loved this iteration of the joker i honestly think it's probably my favorite iteration of the joker that's awesome yeah i haven't heard um, many people say that i've heard that they say he's a doable joker but not the best uh i i don't get me wrong i like i liked heath ledger's joker um jack nicholson's joker was crazy Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that this Joker is somewhere in between. But what I liked about it was that uh, the thing about Heath Ledger's Joker was that honestly never could grapple like why he was chaotic evil, you know, um, mm-hmm. because that that would be my understanding of his uh, D and D alignment is just he's just chaotic evil, and I'd like to have some justification, and I don't get that from that Joker. Um, and I will point uh, just. One of the creepiest scenes in this movie involves the Joker and Harley Quinn, but it's probably not what you're expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see it, I, I just want you to see if you can take note of what that scene is, because uh, uh, I, I would like to see how uh, what you think is creepy about the Joker in this movie and versus what I think. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, I like this version of the Joker. Um, th- he was... 
I'm trying not to give anything away. Um, he was very limited in how they used him, mm-hmm. which I think was very smart. They used him like a scalpel. They didn't use him like a machete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was that was very good for him because I think he, he could have easily taken over this movie, um, and it could have gone downhill if that were the case. Yeah, I will say okay. the the other The other thing I wanted to point out was I like Deadshot's backstory as well. I like that they actually went into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that they. Deadshot and Harley Quinn were the only like really flushed out characters for for this movie, um, main characters of this movie. Um, outside of that, though, I will say that I felt like they took the Guardians, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie, looked at the soundtrack and was like, okay, we'll copy the soundtrack and everybody will love it. Yeah. Um, I think some of the songs worked in certain places. Harley Quinn has a scene again that I think is like fantastic, and at the end of the scene, I was like, that music was just in her head. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> um but uh i feel like what you and i talked about two uh, a year ago about guardians of the galaxy was like mo- like companies are going to see this movie and they're going to try to mimic it and they're going to screw it up mm-hmm. and i feel like in a way that's what this was um just because guardians is two years old at this point and mm-hmm. it had an amazing soundtrack um because it worked that those songs into the movie and it worked it into the plot yeah yeah and I don't think that worked in Suicide Squad. And hey, I, I could be misre- misinterpreting this and I will I will be clear. I might be doing that and I'm okay with being wrong. But from my perspective, it felt like they were like, hey, here are some classic songs. Here are some, you know, kind of pop songs. Here's a Skrillex and Rick Ross uh, mix. We're going to drop those in and people will love it. And, you know, it'll be catchy. And it just didn't work for me as much. Um, no, I totally agree. And, and, you know, like I said, haven't seen this, but I totally agree with your point. With Guardians of the Galaxy, those songs, first of all, every song from the soundtrack was in the movie. And it was because that was Peter Quill's <clears throat> uh, connection with his mom mm-hmm. was through the through those songs. So those songs, they were played in the movie, typically through Quill's headphones or, or this and that. And, uh, and it was basically his way to... Uh, to tie it was Quill's way to tie himself back to Earth and to his mother, and so that that was just such a strong connection between the music and his mom. But if you have this movie Suicide Squad, where they're just throwing in songs just for the hell of it, and just say, you know, like this is these are crazy crazy characters, so this is crazy crazy music, it really doesn't have that same connection or that same feel um, as as Quill's as uh, Peter Quill in um, in Guardians of the Galaxy. And that, that that actually pretty much just hit the nail, the nail on the head right there. Um, it felt like, a, hey, here are crazy characters, here are crazy, here's crazy music. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, I, again, I, I will say that I enjoyed the movie, and I'm, I'm sure you and I will deep dive on this later on um, after, it, after we both get a chance to see it, and I'll probably get a chance to, to watch it again because um, I – Definitely want to like. I first watched it just to watch it as a, a moviegoer and as a fan, um, but I also want to get that critical view as well, just because, like you and I just talked about, like there there is a critical reason for not liking Suicide Squad, and I get it. Mm. Um, but there's also a reason, like may, maybe we need to have some type of critic, like have a you know fan critic that's just like, hey, you know this movie has its problems, but it's a fun fun watch. Yeah. Versus this movie has direction issues and things like that we just need to launch that website you know that we were talking about <laughs> we do actually <laughs> um 
need to need to work on that code actually <laughs> <laughs> i haven't forgotten about it it's just so much is going on oh i hear you yeah gotta make the time so i i got in yesterday from uh from baltimore where i was at a, a music festival all weekend well for saturday and friday um so i got in and matthew made me watch episode one of stranger things mm-hmm. and i've heard people talk about it Coworkers have been tr- like telling me i should watch it you know yada yada, yada. and I finally sat down with Matthew, watched the first episode, and I was hooked. And eight hours, nine hours later, I uh, finished the entire season, first season. And I have to say, I really love that show. Uh, I won't go into spoilers because, one, it's really new and you haven't seen it yet. But um, I'm recommending to anyone, if you are listening to this, if you love D&D, if you played D&D and you liked it or loved it, um, if you liked scary stories or horror stories, or if you just want, like, a really interesting, like, like where is this going mystery like you should definitely watch stranger things um for me and you dan like uh some hometown uh writers created this show and directed this show mm-hmm. um so you should uh that's another reason to watch but yeah i i really loved it it was it's it felt like a good 80s like it it felt more like an 80s movie than it was tv show but i think that's because in the 80s tv shows were were the eh property and like movies were like that that deep thing that you would get into but uh yeah uh i would uh i would definitely recommend watching it yeah you know it's funny i saw an article that the creator of the goldbergs wants to do a goldberg slash stranger things crossover because they're so influenced by the 80s so i thought that was pretty funny (laughs) i mean crossovers were a big thing in the 80s so i could see that happening (laughs) yep no lie. Uh, well, I, I'm excited to check it out. Um, I just need to get through Jessica Jones, and then hopefully I can I can check out this and Mr. Robot at the same time. Um, but oh, actually, hang on. Speaking of of of, of uh, just Jessica Jones, um, this is a note I was going to make during like when we we're talking about Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. One thing, and you mentioned this. Um, one thing that I do like about Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, they deal with those small time threats. So you're not wondering where are the Avengers? Yes. You know, I, I think that's something that Marvel Netflix has done well. I don't know if necessarily Marvel ABC have done well with the, with agents of shield, but they've definitely done it well with the uh, Netflix shows. Yes, that is so true because yeah, I mean, you're not going to call in the Avengers just because the, the Kingpin wants to take over hell's kitchen. Like, no, like, yeah, the Avengers would laugh at you. Like, what are you being a little bitch and just go about their, (laughs) their job? (laughs) Like, we're trying to save the world here. Okay. Get get out of (laughs) here. So true. Um, so I've had a lot of, I've had the chance to watch the movies this past week. And, um, even though I didn't get to watch suicide squad, I watched, I got to see 10 Cloverfield lane finally, which was, I got to say it was probably, one of the best and most suspenseful movies I've seen in a long time. I mean, I was just, I was just on the edge of my seat, literally on the edge of my seat from beginning to end. Uh, it, it, it kind of starts, I mean, even it, it, it picks up, it, it's a quick starter and mm-hmm. the suspense, I mean, the tension is so palpable because you don't know who to trust in the movie at all. And, um, and the, and the whole, beca- I had a friend that told me he didn't like it because he doesn't like aliens and stuff. 
Um, and so he didn't like the ending, and he felt like it could have just been its own movie because aliens, spoiler alert, the aliens don't show up for, until the last, like, 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. But for me, uh, that made the, the movie even more... The, the, it was an even more intense movie because of that, because the whole time I was thinking... Michelle, the, the main character, I was like, well, when she gets out of this bomb shelter, what's going to happen when she gets mm-hmm. out in the real world? Because because this is 10 Cloverfield Lane, you know that these aliens are going to show up at some point. And you're like, when is this going to happen? When are they going to show up? And uh, for those that, that don't know much about it, 10 Cloverfield Lane is about this girl, Michelle. Um, she gets in a fight with her fiance. She, she leaves. She leaves him. And then um, she gets run off the road. She gets put in a car accident. And she wakes up in a bomb shelter by the that that uh, by this guy, and um, and so she doesn't know to trust him. And then there's another guy there. So there's Howard, which is the guy that runs the bomb shelter. It's his bomb shelter. And then there's Emmett, and Emmett's just a, a guy that knows Howard. And uh, it's the whole time it's just a suspenseful psychological thriller. And then you're and then you have this overlying threat of these aliens and you're like, when do the, when do they come into play? Because this is an anthology film, the Cloverfield, like what's going on. And then for me, when she finally get, when Michelle finally gets out of the bomb shelter and, uh, and she's in, she's outside and she sees the aliens and there, that was just even more intense for me because it's like, Oh my gosh, she's been through so much in this bomb shelter already. And then now she's got the, the looming threat of these aliens. And I mean, I just got to say, um, she, when she sees the aliens drop down and start running towards her, um, she says, like, she just, she's like, oh, fuck. And you're just like, you could totally relate to that. Yeah. For me, like, I totally related to that because that's what I said when she had been through so much. She almost got killed in the, in, in the shelter. Then she, and then she gets out of the shelter and she faces being killed again. She just wanted to run away. She just wanted to be gone with everything that had been, ha- that had happened over to her over the past few weeks or months. And then all of a sudden, she has her th- her life threatened again by these aliens. So when she said that, I was like, "That is exact." Um, like I was like, "Dang, man!" Like it was, I was just all my emotions were invested in this Michelle character, and it was just brilliant from like from start to end. I like I couldn't stop raving about it to um to my wife and to my mother in law. Like I was like, "We need to watch this movie." Like I want to watch it with you guys so bad. And I'm the kind of person like I don't like to overhype movies for people. Like, so when people ask me if they, if they say, Hey Dan, have you seen this movie? Uh, And I say, yeah, I've seen it. They're like, well, how is it? And I say, well, I thought it was all right, but I don't, I don't try to be so emotional about it if I really liked it. Cause I don't like to ruin it. I don't like to overhype or underhype movies for people, you know? So I just kind of like to be indifferent, but I just couldn't contain my excitement for this movie. I was like, you guys have to watch this and I want to watch it with you. It's so good. I can't wait to see this again. So, uh, I, I loved this movie and I'm so excited for the next anthology Cloverfield movie. Yeah, and I, I have to say, like, I I saw this uh, a couple of months ago when it first came out uh, in March. Yeah, March. Yeah, March it came out. Um, and I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I also started looking into the backstory of the movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. It actually started out as a spec, stri- spec stri- script. Wow, I cannot speak. Uh, as a spec script um, called The Cellar. Mm-hmm. And it was morphed into this essentially this anthology um, movie where it takes place in the Cloverfield universe. Um, and I, it's something I really enjoyed because one, this movie was made for practically no money. It was made for $15 million mm-hmm. um, and it made $108 million in the box office. So it shows that, you know, this type of, of anthology movie where it's loosely connected 
could actually, you know, be a, an interesting new way to to get some new content, like movies out there. Um, and it, it just also, I just enjoyed the movie. It was it, like like you said, it, I I was just in suspense the entire time because yeah, she gets out, then what? Like what what happens to the aliens that are like, taking over the planet? Um, you know, how is she going to deal with that? And you have this like. I even felt this throughout the movie. Like, what what if he is like kind of screwing with her and you know saying there are aliens out there, but there aren't. You know, maybe maybe the whole Cloverfield thing was taken care of. Maybe the the aliens were already beaten back and everything's you know getting back to normal. And he's just you know John Goodman's character is just holding her hostage for no good reason aside from know, him right? being creepy. And you you never get that until the last ten minutes where it's like. Holy shit! He was still he was right, and oh my god, they're still here, and they're going to kill her. Yes. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I I definitely I really enjoyed the suspense in this movie. Um. I also have a shout out. I watched a, a podcast in the mid aughts called Totally Rad Show. Um, and one of the uh, the director for this movie was on that podcast. He as a as a main uh, commentator. It was actually a really fun podcast. They would like go into different uh, aspects like comic books or movies and TV shows. Um, and he was an, a, like he, I think he maybe had directed some some commercials and maybe some TV at that point. But he wasn't like he hadn't. I don't I don't think he had directed many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always cool to see his perspective. And I'm just like really like excited that he was actually the director for this movie. So I just want to give a, a shout out to Dan Trachtenberg there because. You know, hey, it's like, hey, you made it, dude. Like, congrats. Yeah. Um, and he made this movie, and this movie was damn suspenseful. Oh, man. And you didn't even know this movie was even being made. They kept it so tightly under yeah. wraps. Then when the trailer dropped, you're like, what? Is this yeah. for real? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I, I I definitely would recommend everybody watch this, especially if you, you loved or enjoyed Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Um, it just adds to that universe, and it, it expands it. And um, there's no shaky cam. It's all third-person camera, like yeah. regular standard camera shots. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I just just watch it. Just yeah. take an hour and a half, watch this movie, and, and enjoy it. Very good, yes. Um, so shifting gears from a movie that was really, really good to a movie <laughs> that really, really sucked. And <clears throat> don't hate me because I didn't like <laughs> Ghostbusters. But I, I watched the new Ghostbusters this past week, and <clears throat> and I didn't like it. And it was because of the women. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, um, no I, I love Kristen Wiig. I think she's hilarious. I liked uh, – and Kate McKinnon, I thought she was a, a riot in this movie. I was laughing so hard every time she spoke. Um, but it was – it just – for me, it was a disservice to the Ghostbusters legacy. And it really wasn't – it didn't feel like a Ghostbusters movie to me. Um and I guess my the the plot was okay. I thought the villain was terrible. He was completely forgettable, and I I really didn't understand. Like he had he had weak motivations. They they didn't do a lot. Um, the, the, there was I mean it, it was just some creepy guy that that knew how to summon the ghost world to our world it didn't really give any backstory as to why he was creepy why he was doing what he wanted to do and this and that and um and 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 i'll i'll get to rowan more here in a little bit but i was really disappointed in they 
I thought so. I thought when I and I also had the chance to rewatch the original Ghostbusters this week because it was playing on VH on MTV Classic and I and I watched it. Um, the the original Ghostbusters, first of all, they trapped all their ghosts, and so you're led to believe. I mean, that and they and they dispose of them. They put them in a containment unit. So these ghosts are they're I don't want to say they're alive, but they're still existing. Um, Whereas in this movie, they're just completely, they're just simply blasting ghosts into oblivion. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying to say I'm some ghost rights advocate here or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, to me, it's just like, it kind of, it, it kind of, it, pro- it, it, it prop, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't, it's, it, it, um, inc- it, it just dealt, it, it focuses on the, on violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're more or less destroying ghosts with their, with their, proton packs they're not trapping them they're just they're just destroying them and sending them who knows where um and i thought that was kind of like that that kind of that that was a big thing for me a big thing that ruined it for me like i said not that i'm some kind of ghost rights advocate but it was just at at least there was conflict in the first two movies that they would trap their ghosts and then the ghosts would flee the containment unit um I didn't like I didn't like the humor. I thought the humor wasn't as smart or as as witty or craft well crafted as the originals. Um, I, when I watched the original one, uh, and and I, I just cracked up at the scene where all the Ghostbusters are in prison, and Egon and Ray are talking about um, about Gozer the Gozerian and Zool and and uh, and how they can take over and destroy our world from the from their dimension. And all the inmates are gathered around, looking at the schematics, listening in, and and, and uh, Bankman's just like, "You guys getting this? Everybody writing this down?" I mean, like that kind of humor, just like really, like I, I was, I was dying laughing that the whole scene, just that kind of sort of dry humor. Um, but then, and going back to the villain, um, at the end, at the at the very end of the movie, uh, in the post credit scene, Leslie Jones's character, Patty, she teases, she says. Guys, who she's listening to these these recordings these, that um, on tape, and she says, "Who's Zool?" And for me, that really destroyed it for me because um, the main showdown of the villain uh, when the Ghostbusters met with Rowan, he basically did the Zool trick from the original Ghostbusters. He said, mm-hmm. "You know, think of something, think of what you want me to be." And Patty says, "Oh, I I thought that Ghostbusters logo was really cute." And, and so Rowan transforms into the Ghostbusters logo. Well, if you're going to do, if this movie gets a sequel, which is highly doubtful, or and it's really in the air right now, that you can't properly do the Zool storyline because it's just going to be a retread of this movie. Um, when you when you bring in Zool and Gozer the Gozerian, I don't I don't I don't see how they can do how they can how they can properly do this character justice. If they they wasted their best trick on the first movie with bringing the Ghostbuster logo to life because um, because Patty thought of it, um, and so those are, I don't know those are just kind of my uh, my thoughts on it. Um, it could it just it could have been so much better, and it really was just I thought the humor was really like just it was that low that that really low hanging humor that's really that's really easy to get for laughs but not mm-hmm. smart or witty. And and I just I just think that the actresses could have done so much better, and everything could have been so much better. And like I said, I, I I'm am not a, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Paul Feig, but I like some of his movies. I love Spy, um, but I don't know. It just nothing seemed right about this Ghostbusters movie for me. 
Yeah, I, I I will say it, it didn't seem right for me. I will say that uh, after you and you and I talked about this after, especially after you watched it, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I definitely don't remember well are the jokes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one joke was when they essentially. Uh, I guess the one that really stands out for me is like when Leslie Jones like or Patty like is is slapping the hell out of uh, Melissa McCarthy, yeah. um, which was more of a physical gag than it was a actual joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually the Kevin joke where he's like, do I look better playing jazz or playing saxophone or listening to saxophone? Like, I I think this movie did well in showing that uh, Chris Hemsworth is actually can be a comedic actor actor. Um, but yeah, I I I do want to go back and say like for me the jokes don't definitely stand it, the humor doesn't stand out as much as it did before, and I think that's mostly because. Like you said, it did tend to go for that low-hanging fruit when it came to it. There were some gags that were hilarious. That were, I mean, the the nice. Chris Hemsworth thing where he was, you know, rubbing his eyes through his glasses were was fantastic. I mean, that was uh, that was actually something they did on <laughs> on set because he didn't need lenses or he couldn't use lenses in his glasses. So um, they were going to initially like just uh, do some uh, creative editing and put lenses in for him, but. Uh, he started playing around and, and rubbing his own eyes and they were like, Oh, let's just go with that instead. And it adds to his, uh, adds to his, uh, weird character traits. I do have one question for you. How did you feel about the cameos of the, the original actors? I thought they were, I thought they were okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Bill Murray essentially played himself for the cameos being skeptical and, uh, non-trusting of anything. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and I was ashamed they killed him off. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, but he can come back if they make a sequel. He could always come back as a ghost. That's true. He could be. He could be Gozer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I did like the the Harold Ramis like like tribute. Yes. That was nice. I, I thought that was very tasteful. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved Ernie Hudson's cameo at the end though, with uh, where he was like, "I only got one hearse," and he was like, <laughs> "We can't just stack them on each other like flapjacks." <laughs> I, I think they played that one like that was a joke and I, I guess I will give them credit for that one because they played that one out and they kept referencing Patty's uncle yeah. um, I, I did like that they actually they, they gave us some follow through on that and not just make it like oh yeah her uncle pastors about everything it's like oh that's that's who her uncle is yeah yeah um, you know and I was thinking and you know <clears throat> um, really quickly here when yeah. you know kind of the, at the end when Abby gets sucked into the ghost portal and um and uh, Kristen Wiig goes in after I forget her character's name already. Um, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if the next Ghostbusters movie, what if the ghosts sucked in like the Ghostbusters? Like maybe not all of them, because you mm-hmm. know, maybe and typically in these kind of movies, you always have to have somebody on the other side that helps it get everybody back. But what if like two or three of the Ghostbusters got sucked into the ghost dimension, and in the contain through the containment unit unit, and they had to find their way out while the th- being threatened by these these apparitions these ghosts that that they have they have put in this containment unit that have a chip on the shoulder against them more or less and i was just thinking wouldn't that be really cool to explore that kind of uh that kind of world and, and they did that actually in an episode i remember they did that in an episode of the extreme ghostbusters where slimer got what got lost in the containment uh in the containment unit and so a couple of the ghostbusters had to go in and save slimer and it was it was kind of a pretty scary episode, but I was like, that'd be a cool movie if they did something like that. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this has been a, yet another episode of Ken and Dan Make a Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I think that would be a really cool like an introduction or a, a really cool change on 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 it. And I think that way it might help take care of your, your Zool com- concerns just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that could help. All right, Paul Fig, if you are going to make another Ghostbusters movie, um, you know, reach out to Ken and Dan. The uh, You can email nerdingcasually at gmail.com, and uh, we will be ready to field your questions, and your, um, you know, we'll be happy to take the checks as well. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and the offers for you two, Warner Brothers and Fox, we're always happy to help you guys out too. Yeah. But Sony, uh, only Ghostbusters, because you fuck everything else up. <laughs> Actually, you, you kind of... I won't say they fucked up Ghostbusters, but uh, it definitely, it wasn't as good as I thought it was initially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, I just, I, I went, I read something. Uh, Paul Fagg was like, I'm not going to be re- remaking any, uh, any other like classic movies. Yes. Uh, he was like, this one was just too tempting and he, he wanted to go for it. But uh, good call. Paul. Okay. You know, I mean, he's got like, he's got good like creations under his belt anyway. I mean, so. You know, sometimes you, you you get the chance to make like your childhood dream movie, and you go for it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get a, uh, I, I can't really think of a good. Sometimes you get Star Trek. Sometimes you get Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, I will say this: kudos to Sony for they had every opportunity to make this like a franchise building um, movie, and you know, drop hints at expanding the universe, mm-hmm. and, so to speak, and this and that, but. They really did a good job at making this sort of a standalone Ghostbusters movie without that 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 combined shared universe feel to it. So kudos to Sony on that. Yeah, and I, I think that we're both, you know, we've both been on board of, of saying that we don't want like, don't give us a combined shared or shared universe just to give us a shared universe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I guess the final thing I'm just gonna leave a little bit of uh, just. Uh, Piece of knowledge out there for everybody before we leave. Um, as you know, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is probably one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Um, and they brought up something on the latest episode of uh, Explain the X-Men where they talk about uh, wizards in this episode and dolphin uh, airbrushes on vans. And uh, Kurt Russell's uh, stunt double for Escape from New York, his name is Dick Warlock. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think you can get any better than that, and that's how I'm going to leave this episode. Nerding Casually is recorded at Glenmore Station in Raleigh, North Carolina, and recorded at Not Fox Studios in Cary, North Carolina. Our engineer slash producer is Matthew Moore, and you can find his work at SwiftObjectives.com. Until next time, true believers, keep nerding out.